Welcome to the Battlefield Baptist Church Podcast. We are so glad you joined us and pray that this message is a blessing to you today. We continue getting ready for our missions conference this week with Pastor's message, The Sacrifice of One. Soon and very soon, whether you like it or not, we're going to see the King. I pray you're ready. I pray you're ready, but I can tell you that today, if you're not ready, in that soft, still voice in your own heart and in your own mind, you know, I'm not ready. If that's your case today, I want you to know you can be, because today I want to talk to you about the sacrifice of one. The sacrifice of one. You look around and you see our theme this year is this idea, one by one, and uh, I started talking, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, night before last, I started talking with my wife about next year's Missions Revival theme, and uh, as you can imagine, I got a look of like, don't even think about it, and uh, just so you know, we already have our theme for next year, but I started, I started, in fact, I was talking with Gordon yesterday, I started like dreaming about what next year's missions revival would be like. Listen, if we don't continue to keep moving forward by faith, we will lock ourselves in fear. And so I keep moving forward in my mind and in my heart, and as the Lord gives me opportunity, I want us to be ready for next year. I'm not going to tell you what the theme is. But this year, but this year our theme is one by one. And I want to thank everybody that's helped to make it possible. Randy, thank you for your work with the graphic design and and the logo, and, and everything like that. And Lynn Walkowski, we were talking about last week. Lynn, thank you for cutting out the letters and, and things. And just on and on. The, the decorations look great. But today I want to talk to you on the topic of the sacrifice of one is the title of my message. And one of the greatest things I know about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is found right here in this passage. So let's look at it again very quickly, beginning in verse number 12. The Bible says, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, notice that word, forever, amen, it says, he sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. You see, this is the whole point, really, if you please. This is the whole point of the Christian faith. Listen, without Jesus coming, without Jesus offering his life as a sacrifice for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of the world, there's no point in us even being here today. We might as well, like I told the Bible study class, we might as well go down to IHOP and get a pack of, a, a pile of flapjacks and have some breakfast. But I dare say, if that's what you choose to do on Sunday, just remember that the money that you buy those flapjacks with, it comes from God. Remember the people who are back in the kitchen making those flapjacks are people who are created in the image of Almighty God. They are image uh, uh, bearers of Christ. Remember that the, uh, the ingredients that are making those flapjacks are given by God. Everything that we have, everything that we see, everything that we are, quite frankly, has been given to us. We've been blessed by God. It's the whole point of the Christian faith when I think about this man. When we look at the verse, this man, and we're talking about Jesus when he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever. You see, the point is, 
no one, no one in this room, no one outside of this room could ever do enough good deeds to earn, to earn forgiveness of sin and eternal salvation. That's why it's very dangerous to, to be a part of a, of, of a re- religiosity that works your way to heaven. Because there's nothing you can do. Because if there was, we'd still be under the law. If it was all about what I'm going to do and all about the way that I stand, the way that I pray, the places that I go, the places that I don't go, if it was all about me, then there would be no reason for him to have come. And so it's pretty incredible. It's incredibly important. God's forgiveness is something given. It's never earned. When we think about the very familiar passage of Scripture, we think of Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the what? The gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Think about Titus over in Titus chapter 3, in verse number 5 and following, the Bible says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Notice this, verse number 7, it says that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I love that word justified. If you look at it again, it says that being justified by his grace. That word justified means just as if I had never sinned. That's what Jesus does. He says, hey, you're a dirty, filthy, rotten sinner, but I gave my life for you so that it would seem and appear to my Father that you never sinned at all. You see, God doesn't see me as a person that is uh, uh, viable to come into his perfect heaven. What he sees is the precious blood of his Son that covers me, and thereby I'm I'm accepted, and I am one of his adopted sons. That's what he sees. And so we see that there's only one sacrifice that can make an eternal difference in the lives of men and women and boys and girls. That's why I preach the gospel. If I preach something else, the Bible says, let that man be accursed. And so it's very important that we stay true to the truth of God's word. Because only one sacrifice accomplishes what we cannot do. It's so incredibly important that we remember the sacrifice of one. Notice with me very quickly this morning, uh, really only one point about this sacrifice. Now I'll give some supporting evidence for it, but there's only really one point. If you're a note taker, you might put the bullets out to the side, but there's really one point that I want you to get today and I want you to leave here and I want it to be embedded into your heart and your mind that as you go out that it would permeate everything that you think, everything that you say, and everything that you do. And by the way, if it does, our neighborhood, our community, our town, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world will start to look a lot different and that's this that's this the sacrifice of one is perfect that's it you say that's all I came for is that all I get today hey let's go we can go and we can go and beat the Methodist to the buffet whatever we can get out of here early today listen the sacrifice of one is perfect And when I think about the perfect sacrifice of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I start thinking about a few things. First of all, uh, some of the things that come to mind, not only this, but just a couple of them, is that he was not only God, he was all man. That's that hypostatic union. 
You know, John 1 tells us in verse number 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He became flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible says that uh, John, he says, and we beheld him, verse number 14, he says, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Oh, yes, he's a perfect sacrifice because we see this hypostatic union where all man and all God are combined together in one man, Christ Jesus. Oh, he's a perfect sacrifice. I think about Philippians chapter 2. In verse number 6 and following, the Bible tells us this, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh yes, he's a perfect sacrifice because I see God and man being combined together in the man Christ Jesus. But he's not only the hypostatic union of God and man, he's also sinless. What makes him perfect? He's sinless. The Bible tells us this in Hebrews chapter 4. In fact, if you flip over, hold your spot there in chapter 10, but just flip over a few pages to chapter 4 of Hebrews And the Bible reveals this. It says, seeing then that we have a great high priest. Listen, folks, there's no need for me to go to a priest and pray today because I have a high priest and his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. I pray to the Father through Jesus. You don't need to pray to the Father through Pastor Greg. You pray to the Father through Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says that we ought to be name dropping when we pray. What does that mean? When the Bible talks about that we ought to be naming, we ought to be praying in the name that's above every name, and that's the name of Jesus. When you offer your prayers, there's, that's a, it's like that song. Oh, there's something about that name. We were talking about it Sunday night as we, as we observed the Lord's Supper, and I sang that song that many of you know. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. And you go on, it says, Master, Savior, Jesus. Is he your master? See, a lot of people want Jesus the Savior, but not many are interested in Jesus the Master or Jesus the Lord. But it doesn't change it one bit. He is. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's sinless. Notice Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are. But what does the last few words say? Yet without what? Guys, I got good news for you. (laughs) Even if you studied the Old Testament, And they gave the sacrifice of lambs. Those lambs needed to be what? Spotless. They needed to be perfect. It was a foreshadow. And we'll talk about that here in a second. It was a foreshadow of what was to come. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice because he was spotless. He was without sin. He's the perfect sacrifice uh, because of the hypostatic union. He's also the perfect, perfect sacrifice because he lives and he's alive forevermore. You think about Revelation chapter 1. By the way, if you've never read the book of the Revelation, the Bible tells us that you'll be blessed if you just read it. You want to read something today? You want to be blessed today? Read the book of the Revelation. You say, well, I don't understand it. Just let God do his job. 
A lot of times people say, well, I, I don't understand this. Have you prayed and asked God to give you wisdom? Have you prayed and asked God to open up the eyes of your understanding that you might have a better understanding from his word? Because my Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask of God. Because he's not holding it back. He's just waiting for us to ask. The Bible also tells us that if we have not, it's probably because we have not asked. We have not because we ask not. And many times the reason we have not is because we're asking with the wrong heart reason. We're asking so that we can consume upon our own lusts. Oh yes, he's a perfect sacrifice. He lives, he's alive forevermore. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 18. Jesus himself giving this vision to John while he's on the island of Patmos. He says, I am he that liveth and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And here's something else to be aware of. He says, I'm the key holder. I'm the gatekeeper, if you please. He says, I have the keys of hell and of death. You see, Jesus' sacrifice is perfect because he's the one that purchased my forgiveness with his own blood. Not the blood of some animal, but his own precious holy blood. In the Old Testament, I was referring to it just a moment ago. In the Old Testament, God allowed people to sacrifice animals as this temporary means of covering their sins. I mean, when you think about it, the perfect sacrifice was still yet to come. Jesus had not been born of a virgin. He had not lived a sinless, spotless life. He had not given his life uh, uh, for the ransom of many. And so in the Old Testament, God allowed these animal sacrifices uh, to, to be used as this temporary means of covering sin. And through these animal sacrifices, people understood that something had to die because of sin. When did this start? All the way back in the Garden of Eden. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3. You, you read that story and you find out that after Adam and Eve had eaten of the tree that they weren't supposed to eat, they realized for the very first time, they realized they were naked. And the Bible says what they did is they went and they hid themselves and, and they, they started to hide from God and, and, uh, and God says, where are you? Now, by the way, God knew exactly where they were, uh, but he says, where are you? And Adam says, well, we're hiding because we're naked. And you know what happens, God... Uh, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey says, uh, we find out about their sinfulness and God judges uh, Eve, God judges man, and God also judges uh, that old serpent. But then what we find at the end of chapter 3 is that the Bible reveals in Genesis 3.21 that God made coats of skin and he covered them, Adam and Eve. He covered them and showing forth this idea of covering of their sinfulness. And so folks in the Old Testament had to be covered in some way. But what I want you to see is in Hebrews chapter 10, where we are actually looking today, I want you to look back to verse number 1, because I want you to see something about these Old Testament coverings. The Bible reveals to us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 1, it says this, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not... Notice that word, and not the very image of the things can never, notice the word, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. What did I say Jesus was? I said he was the perfect sacrifice. Notice, keep on reading. Verse number two, it says it can never make it perfect. Verse number two, for then would they not have ceased to be offered. 
What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that if those sacrifices, animal sacrifices, could have made us perfect, then we'd still be doing it today. We'd still be doing it today. But he says that's not the case, and so keep reading. He says, for then they would have not ceased to be offered, because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscious of sin. Verse number 3, but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins. When? Every year. Every year they were reminded of their sinfulness. Notice verse number 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. You see, there's only one sacrifice, one by one. That's how we go out. Remember, I was preaching that we go out one by one and we reach people with the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we are only one, W-O-N, by one, and his name is Jesus because that sacrifice of one is a perfect sacrifice. The English theologian and hymn writer, Sir Isaac Watts, he once wrote these words. He said, not all the blood of beast on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or wash away the stain. Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Yes, the people of the Old Testament, they were covered temporarily because they were looking forward to this perfect sacrifice of sin that could only be offered by one. But you and I, we have the wonderful, wonderful privilege of looking back on history as they break it apart. His story, we have the wonderful privilege of looking back to his story and being able to rejoice in the fact that the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice for my sins and for the sins of the world is only by one, the man Christ Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 1, we know in verse number 18, the Bible says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. How is that possible? Only through the perfect sacrifice of one. Hebrews 9.22, in fact, I think Travis alluded to it this week in, in the office. Hebrews 9.22 confirms that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Oh, yes, there must be blood that is shed. But guess what? When Jesus shed his blood, he shed it once. The Bible says forever. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Listen, Acts 4 and verse number 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, than, uh, for there is none other name under heaven uh, given among men whereby we must be saved. Oh, it's only through the name of Jesus, as our missionary guest shared with us about three weeks ago. Only one name, only one sacrifice, Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, the Bible reveals some good news for you, I, you and I when it says this. It says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sin. Oh yes, Jesus came and died. How many times did he die, folks? How many people did he die for? All. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 2 says, And he is the propitiation, the atonement 
uh, for our sins, and not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world, the cosmos, the world and all its inhabitants. We studied that a couple of months ago where we looked at the world cosmos and we started the idea and some people want to limit the efficacy of Jesus' salvation. No, listen, God knows who is going to trust Christ by faith, but his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection, oh, that was profitable for all. It was profitable for all. He died for the sins of the world. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 The passage that was read earlier, for by one offering he hath perfected, I love that word, perfected forever them that are sanctified. Charles Spurgeon, that preacher of yesteryear, he said it this way. He said, my hope is not because I am not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is that not that I am holy, but that being unholy, Christ died for me. My rest is here, not in what I am or shall shall be or feel or know, but in what Christ is and what Christ must be. In what Christ did and is still doing as he stands before yonder throne of glory. He is the perfect sacrifice. I said he's perfect because of the hypostatic union. I talked about his perfectness because he was sinless. I talked about him being perfect in in all these things as we look at not only the hypostatic union of being perfect, but this idea of him living forevermore. But I would also suggest, if you're a note taker, it's a perfect sacrifice because it's very practical. Does anybody here as a mom or dad look for practical solutions in the home? We're always looking for practical solutions. Now listen, listen, not even a thing with the the sacrifice of one, but my wife and I had a need of a practical solution. She came home last night with these, I've never seen them before, but go figure, it was pretty practical and it was pretty cheap. I liked the cost. They were paper shades. You say, what? It was like, like, I don't even know what you call that. Accordion. Accordion shades, thank you. See, I don't even know what you call that, Yvonne. But she came home with these paper shades. I was like, why'd you buy that junk? And she says, it's very practical, it's cheap, it's going to do the job. And so guess what? My job was to do was to see if these things actually worked and if they were worth the 2 or $3 she spent on them. I know she spent a few more dollars than that. I'm being facetious. But I put these things up, and to my surprise this morning when my alarm went off, it still felt like it was dark outside. Now, I had two problems with that. It still felt like it was dark, so I felt like I needed to stay asleep a little bit longer. We're always looking for practical solutions. We need look no further than Jesus Christ for the practicality of the perfect solution for my sin, for your sin, and for the sins of the world. Listen, if we believe the Bible, does anybody in this room believe the Bible to be God's Word? Thank you. Praise the Lord. If we believe the Bible, now, let me ask, let me, before I say the next thing, do we believe everything in the Bible? Do we believe it to be the infallible, inerrant Word of God? Infallible, it's not wrong, inerrant, it's incapable of being wrong. Do we believe it's supernaturally inspired of God? Oh, I love fishing. Because you know when you set the hook, you reel it in. Well, if we believe the Bible, and the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, then we have a problem. And we need a practical solution. 
The Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's the solution. But sometimes, because we get filled with our own knowledge, we get filled with our own ways, the Bible says. We get filled with everything that we think we can do that we don't need God's help for. We stop trusting what God's word says and we start trusting the arm of the flesh. But it's been my experience and I'm sure it's been your experience down through the years that the older I get, the more I realize that the arm of the flesh will fail you. If we believe that God's justice demands a payment for sin, if all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, if the wages of sin is death, if we really believe that to be part of God's uh, infallible, inerrant, supernaturally inspired word of God, then we must understand that we need a practical solution. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the practical solution. He was a perfect solution. The Bible, actually, go to uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And guys, I apologize. I gave you one verse, but I'm going to read a couple other verses. In Hebrews chapter 2. See, the Bible says that Jesus was and is the payment. It's a very practical payment, but it says that he was. Uh, notice with me in verse number 7. I'm going to read beginning in verse number 7. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels... Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see who? Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of the de- of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for who? Did it say that he should taste death for the Jews? Does it say that he should taste je- death for the Gentiles? It says that he should taste death for every man. Every means every. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in his sight. We need to get a hold of that. We need to understand that all man has been created in the image of Almighty God. And he created us, and he made us, and we're all sinners. Isn't that some good news? You're like, run out of here. Praise the Lord. I, pastor told us we're all sinners today. You're, at, you're eating lunch, and the waitress comes by, and you're talking about how sinful you are. Let me encourage you, don't let that be your lunch topic. If you want to talk about something, talk about the perfect sacrifice of one. Let the waitress hear you talking about the perfect, practical sacrifice of one, Jesus Christ, who has made a difference in your life. Not that you're a sinner, but that you're a sinner saved by grace. Oh yeah, Hebrews chapter 12 reminds us that Jesus Christ is the very author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If any one of us, believe me, I probably would have tried to, if any one of us could make a sacrifice sufficient enough to earn our own forgiveness of sin and the gift of eternal life, then the sacrifice of one Jesus Christ would not have been necessary. It would be irrelevant. There would be no need to talk about it, no need to consider it, no need to ponder it. But verse number 12 says, But this man... After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. Why did he sit down? Because his mission, because his great work of salvation was complete. When he was on the cross, what did he say? It is 
Oh, I'm thankful for those three words. It is finished. There's nothing else I need to do. As soon as he said it is finished, he gave up the ghost and he died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb and the scripture reveals that he arose three days later, conquering sin, death, and hell and the grave. I always say this. I, I said it last night. I was sitting, pray for me. My mother-in-law's in town. Um, I said it. No, I, I love my mother-in-law. I would tell you, she is a great woman of God, a real encouragement to me. But I said to her, we were sitting on the Davenport last night, and I said, serious problems require serious solutions. I was talking about our sin problem. Serious problems require serious solutions. People are always in search for a practical solution to problems. And when they're serious, they, it's funny to me that I get more calls when the problems get really bad than I get when they're not really that bad. Because serious problems require serious solutions. People are always searching for practical solutions. And the Bible declares that the perfect sacrifice is Jesus. He is the practical sacrifice as well. But the sacrifice of Jesus is not only perfect because he was sinless, it was the hypostatic union, he lives forevermore and he's practical, but it's a powerful sacrifice. See, we need something powerful if we're going to be able to enjoy this life. Look at chapter 9. Just one chapter over in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews has everything we need to know about Jesus Christ the righteous being our high priest. And in chapter 9, notice what verse number 11 It's talking about a more perfect tabernacle at this point. In chapter 9, look at verse number 11. It says, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and a more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of bulls and goats, uh, of blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in. How many times does it say he entered in? Once. Into the holy place, having obtained, I like the next word, eternal redemption for us. How long did he obtain it for? Forever and ever. Hold on a second. Wait for it. And ever. How long? Oh, it's and ever. He obtained eternal redemption for us. Notice verse 13. For if... Notice the word if. If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, colon, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, he was sinless to God, purge your conscience from the dead, from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of an eternal inheritance. Yes, it says those which are called. God knows who is going to trust him. But you and I have a responsibility. The Bible says that we're to walk worthy of the vocation where we are, wherewith we are called. That's found in Ephesians 4, verse number 1. We have to walk worthy of this calling in Christ Jesus. Verse number 11 and 12 says that his sacrifice was so powerful that not only are we forgiven, but our eternity was purchased. You see, eternity is just the, it's like the cherry on top of the ice cream, top of the whipped cream and all that. Forgiveness of sin is what is so incredibly important. Eternal salvation is just another benefit. 
When Jesus saves, he saves completely and forever. Verse 13 and 14 remind us that the sacrifice is so powerful that it purges and it actually purifies our conscience. You remember the sacrifice of the blood of bulls and goats? What happened? Every year they what? In their conscience they remembered what? That they needed to do it again. When we have the blood of Christ covering our sins, there's good news. We don't need him to do it again. How many times does he have to die? And yet I'm afraid people put him up on the cross all the time. They keep dying him afresh. They keep on putting Jesus back up on the cross. But I'm telling you, he's not on the cross. He died, he was buried, he rose again, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He's not on the cross. He came down from the cross. So that we wouldn't have to worry about eternity. He conquered death and hell for us. In the Old Testament, sacrifices cleansed the outer part. But each year the conscience was reminded that the sacrifice was needed again. But with Jesus Christ as our Savior, we, knew, we no longer need continual sacrifices. I like what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us. In verse number 14, I have alluded to it many, many times. But in verse number 14, the Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because they, that we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Oh yes, with the powerful sacrifice of Jesus, you and I are cleansed. You and I are set apart for his use. We have new life in Christ, if you please. I pray God would, never, would help us to never forget that. I love that song, There's Power in the Blood. I love singing it because sometimes I try to work in about 16 powers in there. You know, when we start singing, there's power, power, wonder-working power. I'm like, there is power, 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 wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Do you believe that? You see, I'm convinced, I really am, guys, with all the love that I have, I'm convinced that if we really believe that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice... If, he, if his sacrifice was a practical sacrifice, and we really believe that the blood of Christ had wonder-working power, I really believe we'd tell more people about it. I really do. I don't speak that to anybody's shame. I speak that to my shame. We need to tell more people about Jesus while we have the opportunity. We ought to always be sharing the gospel. We do that by communicating His Word. We do that by actually living according to His Word. Oh, yeah, we live in a time when people are real quick to give you what they think out of their mouth. It's like I always say, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little thumbs, what you text. Be careful, little fingers, what you type. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little ears, what you hear or give heedance to. Listen, if somebody's talking about somebody else, you ought to stop that junk. You ought to stand up for Jesus and act biblical. Walk as a Christian. Oh, also, be careful, little feet, where you go, and be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, we're putting more filth into our systems than we can shake a stick at. And then we wonder why the powerful, practical, power, uh, perfect Sacrifice of one is not having an effect in our lives. Oh, 
We must rely on Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Yeah, I'm about finished. The sacrifice of one is perfect. Oh, it's perfect because of all these reasons we talked about. Sinless, hypostatic union, all God, all man. He lives forevermore. It's a practical sacrifice. It's a, per, it's a powerful sacrifice. But I think probably my favorite, and hopefully maybe it's your favorite, it's a permanent sacrifice. <laughs> I'll walk out of here today just as happy as a lark. Because it's permanent. There's nothing else I need to do. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. In verses 9 and 10, just a few verses before our text, the Bible says, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Jesus came to do his Father's will. We know from Scripture he says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. He says, going on, he says, he says, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14 says, For he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. He made one sacrifice for all. It never has to repeat it, never has to be repeated. And 1 Peter 1, chapter, uh, 1, verse number 4 reminds us that as believers, our inheritance is incorruptible. It's undefiled and it fadeth not away. And Peter says this, It's reserved for you in heaven. It's reserved for you in heaven. Oh, the sacrifice of one. Oh, how perfect can it be? It's reserved for you and I. Someone asked the preacher one time, he says, Hey, why doesn't God do something about the sin problem in the world? The old time preacher says, What do you want him to do? He's already paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. Do you want him to come back and die again and again and again? Once, the preacher said, was enough. What Jesus did on that day, oh so long ago, was sufficient for all. Sufficient for me. Sufficient for you, it's sufficient for the sins of the world. It never has to be repeated. But there's a caveat it must be accepted. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I say Lord and Savior because the world's looking for a Savior, but I want you to know that what we need is a Lord. We need a Lord more than we think we do. You know, everybody has a boss, by the way. If you think you're above, you know, it's like even the, the, the guard, the, the guard, the centurion guard, he says, I'm a man having authority. But he also said, I come under authority. Everybody has a boss. You may be the president of your own company. You may be the head honcho where you work. You may be the great genius of your era. But we all have a boss. We all come under authority. If you've never trusted the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, I pray that you'll do it today. By the way, that's why we're having missions revival. is so that we might see the need of the world once again. These banners, these faces, these flags, they don't represent countries. They represent people. And people need the Lord. And by the way, people in this country need the Lord. Amen. 
People in this country need the Lord. That might be a reason why we're fighting so much. If our, if our, if our common denominator is not the same, there's going to be a problem. By the way, I, I saw your post, Sabrina. That guy who wrote that post was one of my professors. That guy who wrote that post that you read, he's one of my professors. But I can tell you this, guys. This whole controversy, this whole sin thing that's going on in our country, hey, we need to start with Jesus. And we need to get back on our knees. We need to humble ourselves before the sight of God that he might exalt us in due time. Listen, we need to get stinking thinking out of our minds and out of our mouths and out of our hearts and let God be true and every man a liar. Oh, yeah, there's people that need the Lord in the good old United States of America. And how are they going to know unless we tell them? That's what the Bible says. How are they going to know unless we tell them? How are the people in Scotland going to know? I love Scotland's flag. Man, I love that. How are they going to know unless somebody goes to tell them about Jesus? You say, well, they had their opportunity 150 years ago. Well, unless somebody's really, really old, I'm guessing the people that are living over there now weren't around 150, 200 years ago. This generation needs the Lord. And so we've got a job to do. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about our ministry, please go to battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. See you next time.